This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. This podcast is all about collecting the craziest life experience you've ever had. That's right, you. Everyone's got a story, so why haven't you emailed me yet at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com to share yours. One person I might have to track down is Michelle Brenner of Gig Harbor, Washington. Like most of us, she had a lot of extra time on her hands during the coronavirus lockdown. She was furloughed from her job at a menswear store. Following her furlough, Brenner made a pan of lasagna using her Italian grandma's recipe and then posted a message on her community Facebook page offering to make homemade pieces for all the people in her area. Brenner also used her $1,200 stimulus check to buy the ingredients, and people were soon trying to get her to make more. She's reportedly been working on the project for three months and has made 1,200 pans of lasagna, and she just keeps cooking. If you think that's an interesting story and you'd like to find more like them, you should visit my website, keithconradmedia.com, and sign up for my email newsletter. It's basically the stuff I'd be sending you if I was producing your radio show, you know, if you had a radio show. The last two weeks have been pretty adventurous around here, with Daniel and Lauren both sharing stories of their travel misadventures in Bangkok. So how about a much more heartwarming story? My guest today is Dana Perino. She's a former White House press secretary. Right now, she's the anchor of the Daily Briefing with Dana Perino weekdays at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel, plus the co-host of The Five at 5 p.m. on Fox News Channel. Uh, She does a podcast, and she's written two books, so I don't know how in the world she has time to actually talk to me. Plus, if you follow her on Twitter, I think her, her dog game on Twitter is maybe matched only by Jonah Goldberg in like the political news arena. So uh, thanks so much for joining me, Dana. Thank you so much. And let me just tell you, in the competition of whose dog is better, of me and Jonah, uh, Jasper's going to win. Jasper will always win that one. Well, I mean, Jonah's it's never a actually... friendly competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jonah's never actually written a, a, a book about his dog. So, I mean, clearly he feels the same way. <laughs> I'm sure he would love to write a book about his dog. He's an intellectual giant, um, but he also finds such joy in his dogs, as a lot of us do. And uh, you know, we're all looking for a little bit of that nowadays. And I think the concept for your podcast is terrific. Everybody loves a good story. Oh, well, thank you so much. And uh, the last two weeks, I've had people who uh, I, I think they were kind of trying to one-up each other, where they actually in various situations, got lost in Bangkok, Thailand, while they happened to be traveling there. And uh, I I think this will be a nice change of pace because you actually have a positive travel story. I do. I do. I have a great one. Um, And I still pinch myself every single day since that day um, that I met my husband on an airplane. And I'll take you back to where I was at the time. I was 25 years old. I was working as a press secretary for a congressman from Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was born in Wyoming, but grew up in Colorado. And on the summer break of August of 1997, the congressman would go back and he would make the rounds of local media. And I would accompany him on those meetings. 
And then he was going to stay another week in Colorado. And I did not have that much vacation time. So I was due back in Washington. And so I was going to head back and I had to take um, a connecting flight um, to get to D.C. Denver to Chicago, Chicago to D.C. Mm-hmm. And at the time, at 25, I was, you know, I wasn't, I was like a lot of other young women that go through what I call a quarter life crisis. Um, right. I was doing pretty well in my career, but I was a little bored. I mean, I could do the job kind of with my eyes closed, but I wasn't really sure what was next. And I also had just not had any luck on the dating scene in a long time. I mean, I had not had, I didn't have a boyfriend, that I, anybody that I would call a boyfriend in Washington, D.C. in the three years I'd lived there. Well, And I was getting quite discouraged. And go ahead. When you work for a uh, an elected official, like, like whether it's, in, in Congress or in the White House, as you did, like I've heard that that's just like a, a 24 hour a day kind of slog that that you're kind of you're kind of on all the time. So it, it seems like you wouldn't actually have that much yeah. time. I, would, I think that it is. I think it is more difficult now, actually, because back in 1997, um, social media was um, a figment of our imagination. Um, and so you really did have weekends to yourself. We didn't have cell phones and we might have had a pager, but those were pretty annoying. And there really wasn't a 24-7 news cycle for for us at that at that time. And I just think it is true that it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for young people to meet in uh, cities. I don't understand why that is. I know now that I live in New York City, I see that as happening there, too, with young women that I'm friends with um, who would love to meet somebody and start a family and have a committed relationship. It's just been really difficult. And I was a part of a singles group at my church, Lutheran Church of the Reformation. They're right behind the Supreme Court building. Oh, wow. And this um, one woman said to me, you have to not worry about it. She said, remember what God says. He says, fear not. And he tells you that over and over again in the Bible. So fear not, let it go, and you'll meet somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a couple of months in the summer and I just had a great summer and I wasn't really thinking about anything. So fast forward, I'm in Denver and my sister is four years younger than me and she agreed to drive me out to the airport for my flight. It was about a 10 a.m. flight. Mm -hmm. This was the first time I had ever driven to the new Denver International Airport, which is quite a ways from the city. Like you feel you're almost in Kansas. Yeah, (laughs) I I actually actually lived in Denver uh, 96 through 98. So actually about the same time. Oh. So the first time you go to DIA, it's shocking. You think, it is. this truly can't be right. We must be lost. And now there's so much development that you can tell that you're headed someplace like to the airport. But at the time, I, I was running late to mm. get there. And I am a person that is always on time. In fact, I run early for most things. So I was in a little bit of a hurry and a worry. Um, a hurry and a worry. That's what I... <laughs> So I describe a lot of my uh, early career experiences, but I make it. And I am the second to last person to get on the plane. Hand over my paper ticket, and I'm getting on the plane, and I I have a window seat, and I sit down, and I think it was 8A, and there was only two seats, and so it was 8A and 8C. Mm-hmm. And I sit down, and I have my backpack, and I set it down on the floor under my feet because I'm only five feet tall and my feet never reach the floor. So I need something to rest my feet on. And this 
gentleman that's going to sit next to me is with a British accent says, would you like me to put your bag up above? And I said, oh, no, thank you. And I did this quick scan because I thought, accent, handsome, no wedding ring. He's cute. And he sits down next to me. And I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. But he was also, <laughs> I knew, quite a bit older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got the gray hair and things. So he sits down and he has a book. Now, um, anybody that knows me from Fox News knows I'm a big book nerd. And I was reading Toni Morrison's Beloved. And he was reading John le Carre's, oh, oh gosh, what was it? Something about a pirate, I think. And just to make conversation, I asked him, how do you like that book? And we talked for two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes, all the way to Chicago. He told me all sorts of stories. In fact, he'd be a better person on this podcast than me. He tells a great story. He's been all over the world and had so many experiences. And I remember looking out the window at one point and thinking, I know, Lord, that I asked you to help me find somebody, but he lives in England. He's much older than me. He could be married. He could be an axe murderer. He brought a McDonald's filet of fish on a plane, which is disgusting. And yet I find myself totally taken with him. And what I didn't know is that he felt the same way about me. And as we were landing, I somehow we exchanged contact information. And I had run out of business cards after all of the jobs the congressman mm-hmm. and I had done together. So he gave me one of his cards, and I wrote down all my information like it was a business card, and it had um, home phone number, work phone number. I put my fax number on there so it would look not like <laughs> I was too interested in him, but that it was more like business in case he ever came to D.C. and wanted a tour of the Capitol building. And proving um, it was the 90s because you had a fax number. We definitely had a fax machine. With, remember those noises it used to make? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we... We get off the plane. He asked me if I would like to go get a cup of coffee. I had to decline because I was headed out to my other flight. He was staying the night in Chicago before he went to Philly the next day on business. And he says that when he walked away, he turned the corner and he did, you know, he kicked his feet up in the air like an Irishman, even though he's um, Scottish. And I got on the plane and for the next 10 days, I could not sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't even read. I was just completely in love. And we finally connected. Um, He sent me an email that originally had bounced back. I decided, well, it's taking so long to hear from him. I'm just going to let this go and move on. I'll never think about him again. And I went to lunch and I read my book and I came back. When I fired up my computer, I had an email from him. And that was in August of 1997. I moved to England eight months later and then we were married and so I think we've been married 22 years or coming wow. up on, we, we met 22 years ago, so 21 years. Yeah. So that flight worked out pretty well. Yeah. And I have so many people that say I never sit next to anybody that I would ever consider dating on an airplane <laughs> <laughs> that I meet on an airplane. But my, my motto has been keep your eyes and ears open at all times. And, you know, I went through a period after that where, um, I really worried about what other people would think about me um, wanting to move to England to be with somebody who was 18 years older than me, um, who had been married before, uh, had children of his own from his first marriage, um, and I was going to leave my career path 
And there was a woman that I was very close with in Broomfield, Colorado, who told me, do not give up on this opportunity to be loved. And thank goodness she told me that. Because I just wrote um, a draft of a new book I have coming out about um, mentoring advice for young women. And as I write about my career experiences, I realize that at every single step of the way, of all the things I've had an opportunity to do and all of my accomplishments, none of them, absolutely none of them could have been possible without the help and support of Peter. Yeah, because you talk about leaving your your career path, you know, to to go over there to, to England, but you, you ended up finding it again just fine. Yes, and so that's one of the things I advise young people that um, – you know, when I um, first went to work on Capitol Hill, I had originally been pursuing a job in television news. Mm-hmm. But it just was like, you know, pounding a square peg into a round hole. It wasn't fitting. And when I went to work in D.C., I truly believed that I would never get to work in television because I was making this dramatic choice to mm-hmm. you know, work in politics instead. Well, obviously now I'm working in television and I get to talk about politics and all the things that I get to do at this level that I'm doing it at is only because I had taken that detour in my career. And I took that detour to England to be with Peter. Um, and I came back and actually um, what brought me back to Washington, D.C., um, Peter and I lived in England for a year. We both decided we wanted to move back to America. We could live anywhere we wanted. We were a blank canvas. Anything was possible. So we chose San Diego, one of America's best cities best weather. <laughs> yeah, definitely actually for the weather alone. Career-wise there. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful place, a great community. But we, I was bored, and he knew I was bored, and I missed working in Washington, and I wanted to work for President George W. Bush in some way. And then 9-11 happened, and my girlfriend worked at the Justice Department, and when I called to check in on her a couple of days later, she asked me if I'd be willing to move back to D.C. because they needed another spokesperson at the, at the uh, Department of Justice. And while we were on the phone, I was packing my bags, and I left uh, 10 days later. And I never went back to San Diego, I think, and not for a few years. And Peter stayed and got the house rented and drove out to Washington, D.C., and we started a whole new chapter together. Wow. And, and that journey from uh, San Diego to Washington, D.C., that alone might be a story. Oh, yeah, you should hear his story, exactly, because, um, you know, he, my, as you will find with most immigrants, um, they love America so much, and they're enthralled by every little bit of it. And driving across the country, how he saw all the dinosaur museums and went through Albuquerque and the beauty of, of the southwestern part of the United States, um, over to Kansas, where we had friends that he was able to stop by and see, and down through the um, horse fields of Kentucky and then pulling into Washington, D.C. as he saw the Washington Monument and the Capitol, which would become um, our home for the next 10 years. And then, of course, we get to move to Manhattan, and that's also a great American city. So we've had a lot of adventures together, that's for sure. Yeah, just uh, the moves you've made. He's, you know, if he didn't see America any other way, that he's, he's pretty much seen it all at this point. I think that he's been to 43 states. I've been to 49. I have to get to North Dakota. Well, you know, if you've been to one Dakota, you've been to pretty much all of them. (laughs) I don't know. No, I got to go see the Badlands. I really got to go see them. 
I'm a uh, big fan of South Dakota. I went to Mount Rushmore almost every summer of my life because my grandparents' ranch is in Newcastle, Wyoming, in the Black Hills. So that was one of our diversions. We'd go over and see the faces. Um, but North Dakota, I promise I'm going to get there one day soon. Okay. Well, when you when you do that, then you'll have another story to tell. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for uh, for joining me and uh, sharing a pleasant travel story to sort of break up the uh, the last couple of weeks. It's been a, a wonderful change of pace. Yep. You never know who you're going to sit next to. Now, that story is going to be tough to top, but I have faith in you people out there. Shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening. It helps new people find the show, which means a never-ending supply of great stories. Cabatron 